Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 5th edition Vampire the Masquerade tabletop role-playing rules by World of Darkness. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. Listeners should know that this podcast is intended for a mature audience and will include strong language and mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and so forth, that may bear resemblance to entities living, dead, or undead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Rena Henze, and for tonight's game, I will be your storyteller. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Old Ways Podcast's Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle, Blood Moon Rising. I am your storyteller, Storyteller Rena, and tonight we are bringing you the final of our character prologues, introducing the last member of our little coterie to all of you. Uh, so thanks again to all of our Patreon backers who chose to bring this chronicle to life, and I hope you will enjoy the story that we have for you this evening. So without further ado, I'm going to turn the spotlight on to our player tonight. John, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are bringing to the table? Hi, everybody. I'm John, and I will be playing Vincent Markovich. You can just call him Vince. And he is a young vampire. He's only been... had his embrace for, like, the last three years. He isn't super keen on being a vampire turns out there's all these things that all these strings attached that weren't made clear is really in it for what he can get out of it he's 35 years old he works as a nurse he uh swipes blood from work he is he is uh from a pretty disadvantaged background he did his best to become a doctor, but failed to get the grades, and is totally okay with that. He now works as a nurse, and is... He has chosen to become a vampire because he, because of the promise of learning blood magic, and having all of time to read books, which is why Clan Tremere found him as a worthy prospect. He has been sired into the clan, and is among the lower members of the San Francisco Brotherhood <laughs> or family. Um, visually, he is about five foot ten, has kind of hazelnut hair, brown eyes, pretty lean, pale. You could even call him gaunt. He has only been a vampire for the last three years, so he still does not truly understand vampire society or why he has to be so not so careful around certain people and honestly he he found dealing with drug dealers a lot easier but a little less scary than these guys yeah excellent i can't wait to see what vince is going to bring to the coterie uh what sort of strange magics and uh perhaps some uh moral waffling is in our future from vince he has his idea of what being good means and uh i'm sure needing the blood of the living isn't gonna wear down on that over the course of time almost certainly not almost certainly not why would we even say that no idea all right, so let us get into our story for this evening. So, uh, you wake up, Vince. It is about 7 p.m. Uh, sunset in San Francisco in October is generally between 6 and 6.30, but you like to sleep in a little bit because you have long shifts. So, uh, it's a little bit later for you. And you're quite okay with that. Uh, so you wake up to 
greet a somewhat chilly evening, decent breeze, kind of night when most people would be wearing probably windbreakers uh, or at least a nice cardigan or, or sweater, but not too chilly, especially for the legions of the damned who are used to the cold anyway. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about where Vince sleeps? Uh, where is he safe at night? Uh, do you have other people around you, whether other vampires or humans? Where where are you when you awaken tonight? Vince awakens in a house granted, well, more accurately rented to him by his sire. She has quite a wide property portfolio in the San Francisco area, and uh, he is currently in a nice suburb on the north side of the city. This is far from where he ever thought he'd end up, but it's pretty good. He lives in a small bungalow, alone. Except for the ghost, who sometimes shows up. Because the place is haunted. But other than that, it's great. Yeah, Vince has a... Well, he takes public transport, but that's mostly just because, you know, it makes him feel more personable. He likes to mill in with the crowd. But the bungalow is a nice place. It's, uh, what, four rooms? Plus the corridor, plus the bathroom. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good for a bungalow. I mean, it's got a library, which is where Vince keeps his coffin. It also has a surgery, which Vince doesn't really question why it has that. So does Vince sleep in a coffin because he thinks that's what vampires do, or was he given that by his sire? She absolutely gives him a coffin to sleep in, yeah. Um, okay. And he doesn't question it? He's never talked about this to other vampires. He's just... She told him, you sleep in a coffin because you're a vampire. And he just said, okay, I guess. Alright, so uh, you sit up in your, uh, in your coffin. The lid rises dramatically as you sit up, uh, Dracula style. And I'd like you to make a rouse check. Uh, this is going to be a single d10, and you need a six or higher, because you are starting to feel hungry. You can you can feel the the throbbing from outside somewhere. Someone's heart is beating as they're walking past your bungalow. You haven't eaten since last night, and mm, you you need to feed. So let's see how well you're able to control yourself. 8 on a 10. Okay, you rolled an 8, so you successfully pass your rouse check. You are able to fight back uh, these these feelings of hunger and, and ravenous desire for blood. You've got other things to do for now. Uh, you're not going to go out and rip out anyone's throat today. So you wake up, you get out of bed, or rather your coffin... And since your coffin's in the library, you are greeted by a loud thump as a book comes flying out of the bookcase and just lands on the floor. Um, it's this old leather tome, and it appears to be one of the ghost's treasured possessions. Uh, they seem to be connected to it somehow, because this tome is the only tome that goes flying off the bookcase whenever the ghost wants to say hello. So, how does Vince respond to this? Vince responds by picking up the book carefully, checking the spine, and saying, oh, good morning to you too. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> he flicks it open to a random page, and he just reads out a paragraph from it. Uh, you, you feel a kind of sense of, of calm, almost, as you read this section um, out of out of the book. And there's a bit of a cold sensation that, that you're used to by now, almost as if something else is moving your fingers to turn the pages just for a few minutes. But you feel calm and satisfaction from somewhere. 
and then you can close the book and return it to its spot on the shelf. And that feeling of that presence that was in the room has gone now. Your ritual is complete for the evening. Someday I will find out who this ghost was, but until then, I guess I just have to keep them keep them off my back. That's that's, that's tomorrow's problem. It's fine. Well, you read to them tonight, so that you know there won't be any uh, rivulets of blood trickling down your coffin walls when, while you're sleeping tomorrow morning. It's a real or hassle. any clanking sounds. Yeah. No, no giant spider feeling crawling up you while you're trying to sleep. So you, you've done what you needed to do today. I absolutely view this as uh, helping the ghost and being kind to them. But deep down inside, I'm pretty sure the ghost has bullied me into reading them a story, and I'm not too sure how I feel about it. It's a very complicated feeling, for sure. Yeah, it's there's layers to this relationship. Well, you put those aside for the moment because uh, you have bigger issues on your metaphorical plate tonight. You need to get to work because you have some business to attend to, let's say. So how do you get to work at night? Do you take public transportation? Do you, do you walk? Do you take an Uber? Time permitting, Vince takes public transportation. He... You know, he just likes to be amongst the crowd. Helps him blend in. Feel like he's still just another person going about their business. Going to work. You know, he just looks at the people around him. He's a lot more people watching than he used to do. But, uh... Yeah, he keeps reminding himself they're human beings. They're all people with their own interesting backstories. They all have their own places they're going. Yeah. People. You, you get on the bus tonight, uh, and it is a bit more full even than than usual, probably just because of the chill of this evening. More people are choosing to ride the bus instead of maybe walk like they would normally do. And uh, it, it's very comforting to you, this close press of people, even as you're steadfastly ignoring the scent rising up off of all of these bodies that intoxicating delicious living blood that you can smell when you brush up against someone and you can feel their heartbeat just for a split second but you've worked so hard at containing this that you're able to push those those thoughts aside and just enjoy being amongst all of these these people there's a, a young woman carrying a small dog uh, in her purse. Um, the dog does not look too happy about this and you can entertain yourself by uh, watching the dog's antics as it tries to escape the purse on multiple occasions. There are a couple small children uh, with their parents and they are taking a cat on a leash with them. The cat somehow seems more happy about this than the dog seems to be in the purse. There's an old homeless gentleman sitting in the back of the bus uh, half asleep He's got a newspaper stretched out over his lap. Um, people are sitting further away from him because of the, the smell of, of alcohol and the fact that he probably hasn't showered in God knows how long. Uh, but he's, he's asleep, or at least nearly so, and seems to be quite comfortable back there. So you just take in all of these sights of, of home and of what used to be your normal life uh, as the bus winds its way up and down and up and down and up and down the famous hilly streets of San Francisco before depositing you uh, at a bus stop outside the Sisters of Mercy Hospital. It's a fairly small hospital, all things considered. It's a bit more high-end, let's say, is it is a religious endowment hospital. It's a Catholic hospital, and uh, it focuses mainly on the elderly and on end-of-life care. And there's an entire wing um, for hospice care for people who can't uh, afford to have care at home or whose families have chosen not to have them at home. 
there's also part of that ward for the charity cases that the uh, Sisters of Mercy, this this religious organization, bring in who have nowhere else to go, uh, are terminally ill or injured and are brought in off the street. There's a there's a whole section of the hospice wing dedicated just to these these people. Uh, and often it's the job of the night nurses to do the most care for these uh, these particular unfortunate people. They tend to come in at night uh, or be brought in at night. And there's a couple of them tonight you're going to have to go in and perhaps sit with because it's fairly close to their time. And you have a knack for knowing or at least coming pretty close to the end for for some of these people. You can just sort of feel it. You're not sure how or why. This is something that you had even before you were embraced. You could just sort of feel it. And perhaps that's why you went into hospice care when you became a nurse. Yeah, and it, it's a big part of why he chose this field. He, uh... He absolutely believes he is doing people a much-needed service by being there for their loved ones. And being there for them when the end has come and nobody else can be there. So you walk into the, the hospital. The night guard on duty smiles at you uh, from over his giant cup of coffee. Uh, as you swipe in with your ID card, the doors slide open. The night receptionist, Sally... A uh, young woman with really long blonde hair that she keeps up in a ridiculously tight ponytail. So tight it makes her face seem like it has no lines, no wrinkles or anything, which is probably the intended effect. She also uh, looks up at you and says, Hey, good evening, Vince. Good evening, Sally. And uh, he, <laughs> he's just going to stop and like check something on the desk and he's just like, so how was your how was your weekend? Um, I mean, not too bad. I got stood up again. I don't know what it is with me and losers. I mean, I I keep you know I, I, I swipe for them and we set things up and then they just they don't come. I don't know what's wrong with me. And he's like, so it's important to remember. There's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with them. If only because they made plans and didn't follow through, but. Also because you're charming and lovely. Oh, oh, you're you're such a charmer, Vince. Well, if I'm going out of town next week. Uh, going to go visit my mother. She's not doing super well. Do you think um, you could stop in and check on the cats a couple times while I'm gone? Oh yeah, that's no problem. I still have the spare key from last time. Thank you. They seem to really like you. So I haven't found anyone else that the cats will actually, you know, hang out with and also not destroy my furniture. Whenever I bring in someone they don't like while I'm gone, they destroy my furniture. I guess maybe I, I remind them of somebody or something. Oh, they seem to like you. So uh, thanks. I'll, I'll make sure everything is uh, is set up for you. I'm not going to try any more dates this week. It's just too much. But I'll, I'll let you know if I hear from anyone. And she looks sort of sad and lonely off into the distance before recalling herself. She's like, um, uh, oh, Mr. Perkins. Uh, she lowers her voice. I, I don't think he's going to make it through tonight. Could you could you check in on him first? He, uh, he doesn't have anyone, you know, and... It's not looking good. Yeah, I'll check it, Sally. Don't worry about that. I'll uh, I'll update the sheets, and I'll uh, yeah, I'll be there. Um, she nods and she pats your cold, dead hand. You're you're a good person, Vince. You're a good person. Oh, thanks. Pretty chilly out, though. <laughs> he says, pulling his hand back from the desktop where it was lying, and he's like, "Yeah, pretty chilly out." Evening's really drying in, huh? <laughs> yeah, you you should try some gloves, Vince. Uh, don't want to get sick, catch a cold, all this, all this wind and everything. Yeah, well, he checks his watch. He's like, look, I gotta start. You know what the what the time system's like. 
she she reaches under the desk and she pulls out um, a box of disposable uh, masks, medical masks, and she hands them to you. She says, uh, "I noticed you were running running low, so uh, I had them leave another box up at the desk so I could hand them to you before you go scrub up." Oh, thank you. He's like, Sally. Someday, I hope you find someone who makes you happy. You'd make anyone happy. And he's just gonna, you know, take the masks and go off towards the changing room. He's just gonna whistle the tune as he goes. She she blushes a bit and looks a little flustered, uh, but she's smiling as she goes back to uh, doing whatever data entry she was doing on her computer at the desk. So uh, you get back to the staff room where all the, the lockers and everything are uh, so you can change into your scrubs. Uh, what kind of scrubs does Vince wear? Are you a plain green kind of guy or do you tend to go for more interesting prints? It tends to go for plain green. I mean, it's easier to buy them in bulk and people expect it when they see you. You become kind of a, a reassuring piece of furniture to some extent when you uh, you are what they expect to see that makes sense um, so you scrub up fairly quickly wash your hands very carefully for several seconds longer than absolutely necessary you're not sure if bacteria can live on your dead hands at the moment uh, but you're you're not going to break protocol so as always, you wash your hands, get ready, uh, put on uh, one of your masks. As even though the pandemic is mostly over and there's a fairly high vaccination rate uh, in this part of the country in particular, health protocol still dictates that uh, visitors to the hospitals and staff all wear uh, face masks and patients wear them when they're awake uh, or in the presence of other staff members. So... Uh, you can put on one of your new disposable masks as given to you by Sally, the receptionist. And as you as you do that uh, and you go to clip your ID badge onto the pocket of your scrubs, you feel that card that you found last night when you came in just still in the pocket. You'd hoped you'd forgotten about it but it's still there why don't you tell us what you found and why it's bothering you last night when I came to work a carrot fell out of my locker and it simply said Vince I need double the supply ASAP don't let me down it's just signed L and this is a problem this is a big problem for Vince who is L, and and why is why is Vince stressed out by this? Vince is really stressed out because <clears throat> when he was an undergrad doing his work placement, he had trouble making ends meet, and he resorted to stealing prescription drugs from the medical supply in the hospital he was in at the time. <clears throat> Now, needing someone to sell to, he sold to a dropout from his course who had failed the previous year. Now, only goes by L. And for their business relationship, he only refers to them by this. L has been blackmailing him for the past year and a half to get more prescription meds. They know that he has access to end-of-life care, so that there's a lot of painkillers, that there's a lot of opiates, and that he's in a position of trust. He's been here for a couple of years. He's a, he's a well-liked and respected, experienced hospice nurse. So... It's relatively easy for him to get access. The main problem Vince has with this is, well, one, he doesn't need to sell, steal drugs anymore. He 
is not in a financial situation where that's a problem. But two, there have been previous investigations which didn't catch him into who was stealing medication. And every time one of those has happened, Vince has, you know, backed up, cut back, just eased off. He's always managed to stay ahead of the curve. And now there's one of those hunts going on at the moment, and Vince feels like this demand for double the supply. That's asking him to put his neck way too far out there. So he's going to have to deal with L somehow. Yes, that's a bit of a, a tricky situation for Vince. How are we going to deal with L? Well, maybe we'll see. Maybe we won't. You'll figure it out. He's always figured it out. That that card is almost a weight inside the pocket of your your scrubs as you as you get ready to make your rounds, uh, and it's always present in in the back of your mind that you don't know when L is going to show up. The last time L showed up near the hospital, which kind of freaked you out a little bit, and L could be here now. Elle could be waiting for you at home. When you go home, you have no idea. So it just sort of is constantly ticking away in the back of your mind like a like an irritating clock that just won't stop. Um, but you have work to do. Uh, so you go out I- into the hallway towards the, towards the hospice wing. Uh, it's a hospital, so you've got the linoleum floors and you've got the very sort of ugly beige walls that are in constant need of repainting and there never seems to be funding to get around to it but at least the lighting is fairly good thanks to the funding that the uh, organization does get pretty decent lighting and the snack machines are always full which used to be a good thing for you and now doesn't really matter anymore we had an excellent brand of pepperoni in there. Just, you know, the little thin sticks. And uh, that's lost some of its appeal in the last uh, couple of years. Couldn't tell you why, though. So your rubber-soled shoes squeak a little bit on the linoleum. Irritates the hell out of you as you're walking down the hallway. Just Some nights you can block it out, but some nights... Like tonight, it's just adding to that already ticking in the back of your head that's building up and building up. But you are able to stop thinking about it for the moment. You're able to sort of push it aside. Maybe not completely block out all of the the worry and the noise, but at least dampen it because what you're about to do requires your full attention. So you go up to a door that's half open. The doors are never completely closed on patients' rooms. That would be a bit dangerous. Uh, But you knock softly on the door. You hear a... uh, uh, Hello? Hello? Hello, it's Vince here, just checking in. And he just pops his head in the door. Uh, So, it's... A two-person room. You're not really going to get private rooms uh, in this wing of of the hospital, but the other bed is empty today. So there's just a very frail-looking elderly man, obviously ravaged by cancer, uh, Mr. Perkins. There's this rasp and hiss uh, of, of the ventilator that's keeping air pumping through his lungs. And he's lost what little hair he had left and his face is fairly skeletal in appearance at this point uh one withered bony hand uh, with a pulse oximeter on the finger is trying to lift up from the thin slightly garishly patterned hospital blankets he's trying to wave at you almost but he can't can't quite get up the strength to lift his hand all the way. Um, And 
through the the rasp of the 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 ventilator and through the slight blockage of the the tubes in his nose that are helping helping him breathe he uh nurse vince uh oh thank you for 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 dropping by (sighs) don't worry and vince just like slides in the door and just like closes it behind him very quietly not, so as not to create any, any kind of harsh sound, just quietly just eases it shut. Mm-hmm. He's like, so, Mr. Perkins. And he, you know, he goes to the wall dispenser and takes out, a, you know, does out a small little hand dose of disinfectant and just does the hands again. And he's like, so, how are you doing? Uh, uh, uh not, not good. <laughs> that, uh nurse this morning tried to tell me I'd be out of here in a couple days but and there's this long deep rasping cough it shakes his whole body what you can see of it uh, from under the cover she was real nice but also real real bullshitty (laughs) Vince shares the laugh with him and he's just like (laughs) yeah well I'm gonna be here I'm gonna be here with you you're not going to leave alone. You can see some moisture welling up in the corner of his eyes, just just a little bit. His body doesn't produce much anymore, but he, his hands are, are shaking, and he's able to get that one hand up a little bit further this time to reach out towards you. Said, Thank you. Uh, never thought I'd be doing this alone. Yeah, I always thought you nam with my brothers or the kids but and he starts shaking his head a little bit side to side man shouldn't outlive his own children ain't right should have gone a long time ago Vince should have gone should have gone Vince takes his hand that he's raised and he's just holding it. He's like, sorry, mine are a bit cold. And he like strokes the back of his hand with his thumb and he's like, hey, you'll see them soon. If you want, I can, I can do something for the pain. I can just sit here with you. Been too much for that. And he smiles weakly and he's coughing and you have to help him like spit up all of the, the phlegm that his lungs are desperately trying to expel. And he, he settles back into the pillow. Spent so long in here not feeling anything. I want to feel it this at the end, you know. It's just... Maybe it's the last feeling. You know. Maybe there's nothing after this. You a religious man, nurse? Just call me Vince. Um, not especially. I, uh... I just don't know what's on the other side, or if there is another side, or if there's an after. And... Well, Mr. Perkins, I have to tell you that anybody that does know is either a liar or a crazy man. But... And he, you know, he just gives the hand a firm squeeze. He's like, the suffering will end. This too will pass. I hope so. I really do. And he's... His labored breathing is getting slower and slower. Just as you sit with him for a few minutes. He, he goes quiet. He can't quite get up the energy to talk. And He's leaning back and settling into the pillow pillow almost swallows him a bit because of how frail he is something strange about you Vince never saw it before till tonight kinda his eyes are fluttering slightly I don't know I can see got the devil in you, boy. And his hand suddenly spasms and grabs onto yours tightly. You got the devil in you, boy. He's in you. And Vince holds the hand that grabbed him 
like he just holds it very very firmly he's not trying to hurt him but he puts the other his left hand on Mr. Perkins chest and just pushes him down gently into the bed and he's like there's no one that doesn't have the devil in him you got it I got it your wife and kids had it all got it everybody has this in them it's human to be like this as you push him back onto the onto the bed and you're leaning in a bit to, to tell him this you you get a little intense as you're you're up close to to his face and I'd like you to make a composure roll for me so that's gonna be 3d10s and you're going to need to succeed on two of them Let's see how that goes so two sevens and a three okay so you you uh, succeeded on two out of three which is good his eyes are looking really blurry and he puts up his hand as if to to touch your mouth as if he trying to find something that he thought was there but he can't quite get up the strength and his his hand falls back down to the bed and he rasps again sorry gotta forgive an old man don't know what I thought I saw there sorry Vince sorry it's okay Mr. Perkins I'm here it's alright and he just like he just still like holding the guy with the guy's hand with his right he strokes what's left of his wispy hair with his left and he's like it's alright bud we all see our eyes all play tricks on us sometimes and you know do what you can to do the best you can. Right. He starts crying a little bit again. Just faint tracks of moisture. Not not quite tears all the way. But I know I said I was ready, but I ain't ready. Vince, it hurts so much, but I don't want to go. Nobody's ready. Nobody's ready. But all you can do except that you gotta go times you don't have a choice I know you fought long and hard but this is the end my friend I won't haunt you at least (laughs) he he tries to laugh a little bit Vince is like well there are worse people to be haunted by so I'll take that as a compliment but but I hope I hope you do get to see him again. I hope, you get, I hope there is another side that you do find him. I'll come back and let you know. And he smiles a little bit. And then he lets out this another long, rasping cough. And then you hear a little bit of a rattle almost escaping from his throat. And a few seconds later, his grip on your hand just kind of goes slack. And his eyes are just staring up at the at the roof of his little room. But you can already feel with your heightened senses that the pulse has stopped. There's no longer blood flowing through this frail shell used to hold the soul, if there is such a thing, of James Perkins stands up and closes his eyes. Well, closes Mr. Perkins' eyes, not Vince's eyes, that would make no sense. But, uh, yeah, he's just like, I really hope you do find him. And he's going to, uh, very methodically go about doing the procedure he's always done when a patient dies. And he knows the time of death and turns off all the gear around him you go about this very quietly and methodically as a couple of the night doctors come rushing in. They would have been alerted when the machine started letting out that slow, steady beep to indicate there was no heart rate anymore. Um, you're able to 
put your feelings aside, whatever they may be, and just turn off the machinery, quietly pull the curtains around so anyone coming through the hallway won't see uh, what's happening, and um, Dr. Patel uh, tells you that you did a good job. Yeah, you did, did a good job, nurse. Uh, thanks for being with him. I, I'm sure he would have really appreciated it. Uh, you can you can go finish your rounds so we'll take care of him now oh thanks doc and uh, he's gonna just disinfect his hands before leaving the room and he uh, you know he takes a moment to just look back and then moves on to the next room it's a fairly uneventful evening for you after this you find that when something of this import happens at the beginning of your shift everything else just sort of feels muted and quiet and you sort of move almost robotically through the rest of your rounds you give the comforting words and you stop to talk to your patients especially the ones who've been there for you know longer than a few days but your heart's not quite in it and it almost feels like a relief when you realize it's time for your break that you can go back and you can sit down in the staff room for 15-20 minutes and just recompose yourself and so you you leave the, the room of the last patient on this round and normally this would be the place you spend the most time with this homeless teenager who was brought in by San Francisco PD but you just can't bear it tonight not tonight So it's about 11.30pm uh, you go back to the staff room what is Vince's routine for his mandated breaks uh, for, for the breaks that he gets in between his rounds well <sighs> A couple of years back, he'd, you know, sit down, a stick of pepperoni, a cup of coffee. Uh, nowadays, not so much. Neither of those things has the same appeal. So nowadays, he he's going to start resourcing because he's going to need to feed. He knows that. He knows that to keep himself under control, you will need to feed. And, uh... Not something he's, you know, crazy about, but he's got to do it. So, how does Vince feed at this point in time? What what does he do? Took some of the tricks that he learned from when he was stealing drugs, and he applies it to the blood bank. The trick is that the blood has to be drunk fairly quickly, so that it's not a chance to go bad he can still drink it when it is but it's not the same what he does is he takes the type of the patient that he thinks is closest to death because he figures that will be the one we'll need the least because they're on their way out as it happened Mr. Perkins is well sorry was a very common blood type so Vince doesn't feel too bad about having an AB negative. So you you take a small coffee thermos out of the uh, out of the fridge. The nurses are fairly strict about not touching other people's food. You don't have normal office issues with uh, with people stealing your lunch or whatever. So you feel fairly safe keeping your. Uh, meals, let's say, in, in this kind of situation, in this this kind of thermos flask that's double insulated, uh, keeps out any smell um, and also any visuals, let's say. Uh, so you can settle down at the small table to have a bit of a drink and ease some of the gnawing at your insides. It's quiet in here. And I'd like you to give me 
an awareness plus wits roll. So that'll be 4d10. And you'll need to pass two of them. Okay, so you got two passes. Um, so you, your keen vampire senses, just as you're sitting down and about to uncork this, uh, this bottle, this thermos, and take a drink, you pick up a sound behind you a split second before you realize there's someone else in the room. So you are not surprised in the act of feeding as you hear a Hey, Vince, old buddy. And Vince puts the cap back on the thermos and he's like, Oh shit, what's up, El? And he just doesn't look up, he's just looking down at the table. He's like, what's up, man? Hey, you got my message, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I did. You got what I need, old buddy, old pal? You come through for me in my hour of need, huh? You got it. Vince takes a deep breath and turns around in the chair. And he's just like, I was going to get you at the end of the shift. Mm, that's not going to do it for me, I'm afraid. And there's a short, very powerfully built uh, man. Uh, he's very pale almost vampire pale, but not quite, just as if he doesn't get much sunlight. Um, he's got a close crop buzz cut, and he's wearing scrubs. You're not sure if he walked in with them or if he took them out of someone's locker, but he's, he's dressed as if he was a nurse, and he's just standing there with his arms crossed, and he's got his head tilted to one side, and he's looking at you, just like... Oh, I got customers need it now, really. And you know, I'd, 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 I'd hate for anything to happen, you know, buddy. You know, I'd really, 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 really hate for it to happen. And you'll pardon me for visiting you at your place of work, but uh, like I said, it's kind of an emergency and I hadn't heard from you since last night, so here we are. Yeah, sorry about that. Just, uh, just had a patient who, uh, who died. Um, you are. Okay, so, out of character for a second. <laughs> um, would it be possible for me to know well, I know Mr. Perkins' room is empty. I know that room is completely empty. It is completely empty. So, I was going to ask you if I knew an empty room. Uh, I was going to be like, I'll tell you what. If people see you around, someone's going to ask you who you are. Because we all know each other. You know that. Go to room 204. The guy in there just died. They've moved his body by now. It's, it should be completely empty. I'll get the stuff and I'll come to you. Okay. I, I knew you'd come through for me, old pal. I knew it. And he claps you on the shoulder with a very heavy hand, which in the old days would have made you wince, but you barely notice it now. And he smiles, revealing very uneven, yellowed teeth. Some of them are broken. At least one is missing. He just says... Uh, ten minutes, that's all I can give you. I'll wait. That's all I need. Okay. I knew you could do it, old buddy, old pal. I knew you could. Yeah, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll get it and I'll be there. And uh, he puts, on some, puts in some earbuds uh, and picks up a mop and walks out into the hallway, uh, whistling uh, a tune as if he's just a night janitor going about his business. Uh, but he's headed in the direction of the, the sign pointing to room 204. Vince, like, sticks his tongue into his cheek, and he's just nodding. He's like, I can deal with this. I can do something about this. I can get out of this. Except that I can. Except that I fucking can. So, <laughs> what Vince is going to do... Some courts would call this premeditated attempted murder. Oh, would they now? 
they, I think they would. Vince is going to... He has ten minutes. He is going to grab a scalpel. He's going to grab his thermos. And he's going to go and get a cleaning trolley. And it's going to... He's, you know, it's got the, the roll of bags, but it's not going to... He's going to make sure that it's an empty one. And he's just going to run it down. He goes into the room. He's going to feed. And then he's going to cut just just like the back of his thumb get some blood on the scalpel blade and he is going to uh, attempt to use some of his blood sorcery it shouldn't be too taxing I'm going to attempt to cast Scorpion's Touch so this is one of the later lessons his sire has taught him in the world of blood sorcery and the way she explained it is that it is possible for a vampire to convert some of their blood into a paralytic poison and the effects sound an awful lot to Vince like some of the more potent and awful neurotoxins that can be injected into a human being Scorpion's touch seems a little out of date to him. He thinks it's more like a like a cobra's venom, but um, or maybe a jellyfish sting. But he he appreciates the poetry of it. Effectively, what this does is it inca incapacitates mortals. It can affect vampires too, but mortals specifically, it just oh they can't do shit once they get once they get a brush of this. You're going to need to make a rouse check. Basically, you're trying to summon the power of your blood. Um, and you need to succeed on this rouse check. Um, so roll 1d10. You need a 6 or above. A 9. So I guess that'll do her. Okay. It's powerful enough for you to essentially fill your, fill your mouth with poison blood or poison vitae. Um, so you can coat, choose to coat your scalpel with it, um, or you can hold it in and choose to try to spit it at him when you enter the room. Vince is going to try and spit it. He figures that the scalpel will leave obvious marks, whereas for what he's planning, it'd be better not to use that. All right. So as you're slowly making your way towards this, uh, this room, you rouse the blood and conjure up your blood sorcery um, and you can feel the heat of this now poisoned blood filling your mouth and you can feel the power just flooding through you and it, it makes you feel strong right? a few moments ago you were feeling weak you were feeling helpless you were feeling scared because you didn't know what you were going to do but with this successful burst of magic, which you know was successful. You know what the taste of this scorpion venom blood tastes like. You can do anything. You got this. And you put your hand on the handle of the door. You open it. And L is standing near the window his back to you he he turns as you enter and says ah oh, buddy you got it you got the stuff as you click the door Vince actually goes in backwards he's got the the cleaning trolley set and he you know he looks like he's kind of pushing himself back in so that this is coming and he just gives a thumbs up over his shoulder and the door softly clicks shut and you can you hear L moving up behind you said come on come on I don't got all night come on He's just gonna stand there and he's gonna like fum fiddle with some stuff on the uh on the trolley. And he just holds up his fingers like just like just like one more minute one minute, one minute, but without saying a word. He's the mouth is full of he's ready to go. Ah, oh, come on, Vince, come on. I got people waiting for me. And you feel a heavy hand on your shoulder. So with that <laughs> As soon as the hand comes down, Vince spins round and just sprays the venom in his face. 
Um, you spin around and you spit this blood into his face. Um, and so I'd like you to make a dexterity plus athletics roll. This is going to be your attack on him. We're going to see if he can dodge this. Which is going to be harder for him because he's right up in your face. So. I got a 10, a 7, and a 9. Okay, so... Essentially, with the... With that... And he had two fails anyway. Um, you spit it full on in his face. And because he's human, um, it's not going to be something he can contest. He immediately staggers back and start like screams a little bit like what the jesus fuck man oh. and then it's almost like his throat is closing up a bit um and he his whole body starts shaking as as your poisoned blood streaks down his face and he collapses unconscious to the ground in a heap vince turns off the lights in the room and as you turn off the lights in the room you hear a slow clap. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, he just breathes it. He knows that whoever is there probably heard it. <laughs> but, uh, it's like, you're gonna get in my way? The curtain that had been pulled around uh, Mr. Perkins' bed just gets pulled aside and even in the dark with your your vampire night vision you see another vampire very obviously another vampire uh, his fangs are protruding far more than a healthy satisfied vampire's fangs should his skin is pulled almost taut against his face making him look slightly skeletal but he's got these lean fox-like features he's small but he moves with a very feline grace as he comes towards you he's wearing a long trench coat um and a rumpled up somewhat dirty looking suit uh, it looks like a very expensive suit it looks like he hasn't changed in a couple days um and a battered fedora askew on his head uh and he looks at you with these big eyes he's <laughs> good one there, Vince. You got him. You got him good. You gonna eat him now? Do I recognize this vampire? You do. Uh, because of your previous interactions with the prince, you recognize Luther Garibaldi, who is a gangrel and is the prince's sheriff or enforcer. But he looks he looks a little tired. There's these deep, dark circles under his eyes, and he definitely looks almost feral. Um, normally, he's very well put together, at least the times you've seen him. Even with that kind of animalistic energy radiating off of him, his suits are usually nicely pressed, and he moves with an economy of grace. But tonight, he almost looks half-animal himself. As he's looking at you. Mm -hmm. What you gonna do with him? You gonna eat him? Finally taste the living blood. What you gonna do? It takes off the mask. He's he's learned that vampires kind of prefer the face to face. Because we're not gonna get an illness from each other. Not that, that I know of. And, uh... He like just he's got a tick of just like sticking his tongue into just the little the corner of his lip and he's just like um I mean I was gonna kill him do you want him I think he can still hear us so I mean you look you look like you got a need <sighs> I can take care of him for you. Yes, yes, I can take care of this whole little mess. <sighs> He'll disappear, and no one will ever know he was here. <sighs> um. And he 
licks his lips long and slow, and you can see his fangs gleaming in the dark. And he, he kind of hunches a little bit, and his fingers are extending and retracting into his fists, almost like claws, like as he's reaching towards the, the unconscious L and then pulling his hands back. And he arches his shoulders and tilts his head to look at you. Mm, but, mm, but I was here for a reason. <sighs> mm. Takes in this deep sort of scent. He keeps looking at the, at the body on the floor. And he holds on to himself almost. You can see his long nails digging into the palms of his, of his hands as if he's trying to restrain himself. He's like, I... I I want yeah, I, I want yes blood 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 mm, no something about unofficial yes ah uh, blood blood I need something from you Vince ah yes that's what it was Garibaldi I don't I don't know I have anything that you that would be of any use to you, I mean. And he he actually does put his hand on one hand on his hip and he scratches the back of his head and he's like, I I really don't think I have anything that that's, you know, someone as high up as you could want. I mean Ah Yes. I was investigating. And you you can see the muscles in his throat rippling. He's he's trying to hold himself back from something. Investigating a murder. Huh. Yes, yes. And she, she was there. Karen. Huh. Yes, that's right. Your sire. That's why I'm here. Those beady little eyes just sort of light up with realization for a moment as he's overcoming his hunger momentarily to give you this this information. It's like. Oh, someone killed a Nosferatu, another vampire, the prince's clan brother, and we found this. And uh, he holds out to you a small book, uh, very small, leather-bound, black leather, um, and it has your sire's uh, personal seal on the inside, on the front page. You've seen that book before. Karen never goes anywhere without it. Oh, why was she there? Does she know? We, I, we, I, I, I can't find her. We need her, Vince. We need her. <sighs> she knows things. <laughs> and he starts trembling. like His whole body is shaking from the inside out as he's looking at you and he's crouching lower and lower to the floor, almost as if he's about to pounce. But on who or what, you're not sure. Vince's first reaction to the book is just, oh, fuck. And he turns to Garibaldi and he's like, Mr. Garibaldi, I think you need to feed. <laughs> Sir, you, you can take him away elsewhere or can do it here um. with great restraint again he reaches into his his coat um, and he pulls out a small card um, it's a bit battered it looks like there's stained blood on the edge but it has a phone number he's like nah, call me with anything you find and he thrusts the card at you and in an instant, he turns away and he leaps onto the unconscious form of L. And you see him reaching out a clawed hand for L's throat just as L's eyes fly open. And you can see L's terror and dawning horror as he looks up at this thing that's on top of him. Luther Garibaldi doesn't even quite look human 
anymore. Uh, he's he's long and lean, and his his nails look sharper and more claw-like from what you can see. And it looks like there's more hair along his whole body. And he slams L down into the into the ground, cracking L's head against the the floor. Um, and L tries to cry out, but the paralysis is still partially in effect, and he can't. And you can't look away. You you can't. Something is holding you to this scene as you watch Luther throw his head back as if he's howling, but no sound comes out. And then these fangs are all you can see of his maw as he reaches down. There's a sickening crunch as he rips El's throat out. Yeah! and blood begins to pour into his mouth and there is blood everywhere so much blood and the scent of it is strong and heady in your nostrils as you are standing there in horror and I'd like you to make me another rouse check Oh no! <laughs> a one! So with that fail, you take one point of hunger. Um, it, it's it's harder for you to resist the scent of this blood. You're, you're not used to being so close to it in this way that the, the predator that you're watching is, is rousing something in you. And I'm going to give you the chance to resist the urge you feel to actually feed. Um, I want you to make me a willpower roll. Minus one because of your point of hunger. So you're going to roll five d10. And you're going to need three successes here. Three successes. Seven, eight, eight. Okay. So you hold on tightly. You close your eyes and try to close your ears against the sickening sound of another vampire feeding in a frenzy. You can't quite block the smell, that iron-rich, delicious scent of fresh blood. But you force yourself to stay calm and you block it out. And then as you keep your eyes closed, the slobbering slowly recedes, and you hear a... Call me! And it sounds like a window opening and a bit of a crash, and you open your eyes. The window is open. The body is gone. Luther is gone but there's still a giant puddle of blood on the floor that you're going to have to take care of somehow. And that is where we will leave our session tonight. Thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you, John, for introducing us to Vince. Uh, and we will be back uh, shortly with our first full cast episode. Uh, so thank you for listening along thus far. And I can't wait to bring our entire coterie to you in one room. Thank you and have a good night. <laughs>